0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alleycats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State Sporting News that you still love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthasar. And welcome to the toughest challenge that the K-State football team has had to face so far. It's a a very tough opponent. It is the bye week.
1: I'm going to get the best shot. Uh... That anybody could possibly think of from this bye week, we the bye week is a very tough competitor. Let's get into their PFF grades here real quick.
0: <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> you know, despite a tough season, the bye week has ah uh, hasn't beat anyone this year, but also hasn't been beaten this year. But any okay, that, that joke this joke is over. Welcome <laughs> to the bye week. We're going to be going over since it's perfectly mid season. We've played six games, which you know that works out for us. We're going to be doing a mid-season Q&A and then the mid-season awards show. So without further ado, let's just dive straight into the mid-season Q&A. And the first question is from the good chef and co-host of Cocaine Willie, Chef Andre Napier. And the question is, Desi or no Desi? And what does it mean for Tang's first season? We have nothing to we have nothing suggesting that Desi will not be Desi Sills, who's the you know, basketball player, uh guard, right? Yes, he's a guard. We have nothing suggesting he won't be here.
1: Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, until we see something where Coach Tang is like, Yeah, we're not gonna have Desi Sills, like after all, like for whatever reason, then then I'll believe it. But until that point, I'm just gonna assume that he's gonna be here, but just like super late, and that's fine, honestly, uh, because I think that there's probably at least three players on the roster right now that are better than him, and that's not a dig, Adam. That's, that's just dig. I, I just think that this roster is deeper than we anticipated probably going into the year. So but yes, I, I think that uh we'll end up with Desi. Yeah.
0: And it it's a good as for what it means, it means we have a full roster and a really good guard.
1: Yeah. Yeah. that you know that's a good thing to have. Um I I think having Desi is like something that then takes this team uh even higher uh because i'm i'm starting to get very high on the basketball team i think that they're gonna have a really great season um maybe not winning the big twelve and making like a deep tournament run but i do think that ever since we got Keontae Johnson I've been solidly in the uh uh tournament team camp and I've only been more solid than that like i've gone from us being like in the seven to nine range to like as high as maybe a five or six right now like i'm looking at like 23 24 25 ish wins for the squad as like their ceiling like that's like everything goes well i think this is at minimum like a 20 win team
0: yeah to me this is just it's a tournament team and anything Anything less than that is probably just growing pains from a new coaching staff, in
1: my opinion. Yeah. Regardless, this is going to be one of the most talented teams that we've had in quite a while. Uh, So I'm really looking forward to it. And for what it's worth, uh, on Desi, he is listed on the roster right now, which I don't think he was up until recently uh but that is encouraging if nothing else Uh, so we'll see if that ends up coming to fruition he is a senior so i think this is his only year but um yep next
0: question also from the good chef how does the k-state offensive tape from saturday the iowa state game change how future defenses will play the cats the thing is, is that I'm not particularly sure it would change anything for how people are going to play us, because a lot of why Iowa State was so good against us just has to do with their scheme and their ability to perform within the scheme. And the closest comp to their off- their ugh, not offense, their defensive scheme is us. And I will still stand by the fact that they were probably the school we consulted when constructing our three three five. The school probably closest to them is maybe Okie State and maybe West Virginia. But a lot of what their defense was giving us trouble with was not necessarily how they were scheming things up. It's the fact that they had a really good defensive line. They had a really cohesive scheme, like they everyone was in the right place at the right time. So the only thing that I could really see changing is maybe just maybe they start playing a little bit more spy. But if they weren't going to do that from like QB spy, if if they weren't going to do that from before the Iowa State game, they certainly aren't going to change their mind and do it after. So I'm not sure it's going to change all that much in terms of defensive scheming and play calling.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I I don't think Saturday changes too much. Um, Maybe teams uh, don't completely stack the box as much, but I think that would not be wise on their part because I think we were taking what Iowa State was giving us and they were giving us uh, the chance to go over the top. Uh, and we had a few more passing lanes, uh, than normal, other than like the Oklahoma game. Um, so I don't think it'll change too much. I think, regardless, whoever we face is going to want to stop the run first if they're able. Iowa State is uniquely equipped at it just because their defensive coordinator is excellent and they have a very, very good defensive unit that is really in tune with each other. So they're uniquely difficult in the Big 12, I'd say. Um, I, I don't think it changes too much. Uh, that's a lot of words to basically get back to the same thing that you were saying. <laughs> yep. So
0: thank you for the question, Chef. Next question is one of the hosts of Shake and Blake and all around stand up dude. Someone I watched the one half of the people I watched the Iowa State game with, Blake Crawford of the Shake and Blake show. If you could add one play in or offensive playbook, what would it be? I'll let you go first.
1: Definitely 31 quick trap to Jack's every single snap. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, I am definitely not an offensive wizard. I think he wants us to say QB sneak like we were talking about, but uh, it's we, we in have, the playbook. We have run it a few times uh, this year. Not as much as I'd like. I think that there's more situations that we could run it in and we just don't, which is aggravating, but it's there. At least they know it exists. Um, But I don't know. I would maybe do uh, maybe some more, uh, some, something different that we haven't done in the passing game. I don't have anything specific, but maybe something just more designed to get somebody open over the middle. Because uh, I feel like a lot of our passing is uh, to the sidelines right now. Either that or it's like a tight end ball at the seam. Um, but something like to get somebody open over the middle in space, maybe RJ Garcia when he gets healthy because Kleiman was kind of alluding to him Uh, not being fully healthy today in his press conference. So we'll see. Yeah.
0: As for me, I kind of debated between two plays. The first one was uh, Haas-Wai-Juke, which is basically just what the Patriots ran for several years whenever they had uh, the evil that doesn't die and is now on the Buccaneers on their team. And it's basically they motion out there running back out to the slot. He runs a choice route. Everyone else is basically running a go ball except for the innermost slot to the halfback side running a, like a shallow post. But ultimately what I ended up going for is something a little more catered to the the college offense, and that is a play design that I will be quote unquote borrowing red stealing from Coastal Carolina. And that is a offset shotgun look with an H-back, two receivers to the left and one receiver to the right. The H-back goes up and fakes like he's blocking the middle line. It's an RPO. The H-back goes up and fakes like he's about to block the middle linebacker. And then if the linebacker bites down on the run, it's immediately a pop pass to that H-back. And if a backs up to cover that seam ball, it becomes a run. And I'm always a big fan of free-release RPOs, which is why I love that H-back play so much. So instead of even having to fight through, like on the outside RPOs for the receiver, you have to contend with the fact that, oh, they may be impressed. He may try and knock them off the route to disrupt the timing. It is quite literally impossible to press an H-back without going offsides. So... <laughs> And I think that that would be a really good play to to see Senate with. And the, the other option is just like the, the fake QB power pop pass. But I, I almost guarantee you that's in the playbook somewhere. It has to be. It has to be in there
1: somewhere. Yeah, you got to feel like we we have to be setting up that uh, fake QB power pop pass at some point. We kind of did it a little bit against Mizzou, um, but it wasn't exactly that. Like it was kind of more of like a QB sweep than just like a seam ball to Philip Brooks. It was a nice mm-hmm. play. We stole it from South Dakota, but <laughs> I mean, okay. I, I, I do. I do admire how brazenly Klein took that from South Dakota. Cause literally see it the week before. And he's like, Oh, that's cool. I'm going to take that.
0: The best offensive coordinators are thieves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's nothing more to that, but. Thank you, Blake. Next question is from the person who made all of our lovely designs on the official Aggieville Alleycats merch store, and that's Navi Balthazar. Uh Favorite marching band pregame piece and why? Uh, Wildcat victory. No, it's the Wildcat March. I'm lying to you. I'll let you figure out which one's the lie there.
1: Well, it's definitely the answer is not Wildcat March objectively. <laughs> I will not allow that to be said on the show. So I'll, I'll have stop. that stricken. <laughs> I will strike that from the record. Um, I would say, but depends on your definition of pregame. Uh, if it's just like when the band is like on the field, like actually marching, like when the team is not there, then probably Wabash. If not, I would say, Humble, but only when they're wearing ponchos. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. I love I I love the ponchos that they have, like the uh, the all black ones, like with the hoods. Like I think they look pretty sweet. Uh, The band does uh, when they wear those ponchos. They wore them against Mizzou, and they briefly wore them against OU um, last year. Um, I don't know. I, I'm a I'm a poncho supremacist, I guess. <laughs> for the van, I'm a poncho truther. All right.
0: <laughs> Thank you for the question. Next ones are from Evan D. Shanelanilak, who is a fit. I mean, official alley cat because he got
1: to the end of that one episode. Congrats, Evan! You're That's... the only official alley cat. Yeah, it's not even us.
0: <laughs>
1: no. Yeah, we're we're not in the club. We don't listen to our episode. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> any predictions for Will's future, both this year and on? Does the staff use him in some capacity this year, since he can play four games? Uh, we'll start with this year. No, I don't think we see him this year, unless something catastrophic happens to Adrian Martinez, and even then, I I think they might ride with Rubley. but for the future, that's a lot more difficult to answer because I don't think he's someone who's going to transfer out. I really don't think so. Cause if he were to have done it, he would have done it by now because Will's a smart guy and looking ahead and seeing that there's a four star right behind him. who has been breathing down his neck and they got a grad transfer quarterback. It, it, that there's a lot of writing on that wall. <laughs> and, I don't think he goes anywhere. I think he does stay at quarterback. And I think in the future, he becomes more of a, a gadget, like more running quarterback. It's basically like borderline wildcat. So I do think that we will see the howitzer Panzer package, but it will quite literally be a package.
1: Um, for this year, I think we might see him like once if we get a big blowout win over somebody, uh, like like a really big blowout, as in enough to where Rubley basically plays a full quarter, and or like okay, William, go ahead and take some snaps here, sir. Who um, are we getting
0: that against?
1: Um, West Virginia in Morgantown, possibly. I mean, Texas. That, that team might fall apart. That West Virginia team. Who's to say, really? Um. Depending on KU's QB situation, it could be them, but seems that they're probably going to be fine there, so I doubt that's a blowout. It's probably a pretty close game. Um, but for the future, I'm with Ace. I think that we... I I was thinking today, uh, next year, there's a honestly a really good chance we see at least three quarterbacks at varying times get meaningful snaps. My prediction right now, I'm going to. I've generally said Will Howard will start next year. I think I'm going to go with Rubley for now. Uh, I think Rubley starts. I think we get some like Avery Johnson, like kind of how OU used Kyler Murray when Baker was the QB, and then how they used Caleb Williams before uh, he was the full time starter, just had to come in and take some snaps, like some like low stakes, like limited playbook stuff like just like a run or like a short, like easy read. Uh, And then Will Howard could get the wheel Howard, like Blake Bell, Tyrone swoops package where it's, it's just big person run ball at end zone hard. And I feel like he could be successful in that. My bold prediction for will in 2023 that he throws a touchdown pass, rushes for a touchdown pass and catches a touchdown and he does all of that in that one season, because I think that we see him used creatively. I'm not saying he moves to tight end. I don't think that's happening. I, I think that either. I think that would be a misallocation of his talents. Um, and we're going to be fine at tight end. I think. So I I don't think that's happening, but I I still think that we find creative ways to use him.
0: Yep. Thank you, Evan. Next up is from Cameron Hale. Is this team the future Big 12 champion? Really putting us on the spot there, huh? Uh, <laughs>
1: ask me in a month. Yeah.
0: <laughs> ask, ask me in two weeks, honestly. I this is this is quite literally the most difficult time that he could have asked this question. <laughs> yeah. Because if he asked me it a week ago, I would have said probably. If he asked it like a week later or two weeks from now, my answer would be completely different or it could be completely different. I don't know as it stands. I think we make it to the big 12 championship game. Winning is a coin toss. I still, I think it's going to end up being Okie state and k-state in the in arlington i think k-state wears white so they they come in with the worst record and the result of that game will be the opposite of the k-state okie state game that will be happening in what is it three weeks
1: um that is october 29th so about three weeks
0: yeah but that is i'm gonna say no but we make the game
1: I am completely conflicted because Ace and I talked about this, and it really does come down to how we do in our next three games. I think, assuming we hold serve in our last three, which that has kind of been where climbing teams have crumbled in the past, uh, kind of down the stretch against ga- in games that you should probably win. Uh, so we're going to have to go on the road and beat a really good TCU team, which. If TCU wins this weekend against Oklahoma State, that's a zero team. Yes, I was going to say there's a non there's a non-zero chance that that's game day when we visit Fort Worth. I don't know if they'd be willing to put TCU on twice in the same season against another Kansas school, but
0: but they may not have a choice.
1: Yeah, because I mean, if you look down the road. Uh, with the AP poll, we're playing TCU week eight. Uh, you've got Clemson, Syracuse, which that's been announced as 11 a.m. ABC. Um, you've got Oklahoma State, Texas, which, if, in this scenario where TCU is winning, that's probably not gonna be game day. Mm-hmm. UCLA, Oregon, something tells me they that uh, ESPN doesn't want to go to the Pac 12 particularly badly. Mm-hmm. And then Alabama, Mississippi State, and then like Penn State, Minnesota. Those are the big options unless they decide to go to James Madison and Marshall just because James Madison is ranked in their first year in the FBS. And they might be like, oh, that's kind of a novelty. Like, because they seem to like unusual teams doing well this year. So they might do that. But it's definitely a contender for game day. Um, And it's something to consider. So if they, in my view, if they go two and three against TCU, Oklahoma State, Texas, then they should make Arlington. Yeah. Because that's a tough stretch. Because that is all ranked teams right now. And Texas is only going to be getting better. At least it seems. You never know with Texas. Uh, They're so wishy-washy. But but we'll see. Now, that's a lot of words to say I don't really know. I will say probably not but maybe.
0: If uh, here here's my situation. If we win one of 3 we don't even make the game. If we win two of 3 we make the game. If we win three of 3 we are the big we end up being the Big 12 champions and we may be in a, like in the conversation for the college football playoff.
1: Oh yeah, I mean if we win Three of our next three, if we win at TCU when they are at no doubt a top 25 team uh, that just had a big win at KU, if we beat Oklahoma State, who will almost certainly be a top 15 team, assuming they don't completely uh, fall apart, and then we beat Texas, if we beat those three schools in three consecutive weeks, then we are looking right at being in the playoff if we beat those three schools we are probably top seven in the country i'd say at that point in time i was looking ahead a lot but we're definitely going to have environment on our side because according to the ticket insider scott wildcat on twitter <laughs> uh i think there's what like i think he said like a hundred tickets or something left for texas and that was uh, well, 41
0: with scaddle singles
1: 41 scattered singles against Texas and Oklahoma state sold out. KU sold out. So we're going to have major, major home field advantage for our tough home games, which Oklahoma state, Texas and KU at home. Very happy about Baylor on the road is looking much more winnable than you and I thought uh, going into the year. Granted, that is not an easy game at all. That's a hard game. West Virginia on the road is still West Virginia on the road. It's still
0: Morgantown.
1: Yeah. Weird things happen in Morgantown. Uh, it's like it's like it's quietly Farmageddon level uh, for, for K-State in terms of road game difficulty, but I don't know. That, that's a lot of forward looking right now. Maybe we should stay for later, but maybe I, I really extended that question way too long. But uh, then the answer is possibly leaning. No.
0: Yeah. Next question. If you had to also from Cameron Hill. If you had to use an ice cream to com to comp this team, what flavor are you going with?
1: This is certainly a question that um, is that is a
0: that's a hard one. He asked us two very difficult questions yes um Dif-
1: difficult in very different ways
0: yeah <laughs> this um, is up there with the what flavor would you make oxygen um Rocky Road, because, you know, it's a normally a smooth flavor, but, you know, you're going to get a couple of, of chunks in there and whether or not the chunks are great is, you know, it's, it depends on how long it's been frozen, I guess. Okay. No, better analogy. Rocky Road depends on where you get it from, because if you get it from one place, it could be awful. If you get it from another place, it could be like the best thing you've ever had in your life. That's my
1: answer. I will say uh like bunny tracks. I guess it's like vanilla, chocolate, and then these like kind of like I forget if it's like caramel or peanut butter, like shell things, like just because it's a variety of flavors every bite's a little different. Just kind of how it feels like we're getting a different team every game. Like LA, it feels like things are going differently every game. I don't know. I, I'm not really sure how to answer this question. Honestly, <laughs> I, I, I'm not well enough aware of the, uh, uh, personalities of, uh, ice cream flavors to <laughs> compare them to the team. I'll have to ask them next time at the store, like, uh, uh, peanut Butter Cup, how you feeling today?
0: <laughs> I woke up feeling dangerous, Coach.
1: I woke up feeling the cheesiest, Coach. At uh, least we know how uh, cheeses feel.
0: Cheese! Cheese! Jeez. Cheese! <laughs> uh, so thank you, Cameron. Next up is Deets37. Do you think we should have Deuce returning kicks or punts like Sproles did to help boost his draft stock? Absolutely not.
1: I I do not. If we're going to do it, there should be a rhyme or reason that is not draft stock. And I don't think that there's a rhyme or reason that like actually benefits the team, like to the point of risking Deuce Vaughn's health like that. No. we did it for a little bit in 2020, but that was I think out of necessity because of injury and COVID, and also just because we needed like points. warm bodies. Yeah. So I. I'm going to give that a hard no.
0: Yeah, I I also I also don't think that should happen. It'd be a different story if we well, I'm not sure if even would be a different story if like we didn't have Malik or Philip. But even then we have Jacob Parrish, who you know, if nothing else, the one thing I always thought he would be a lead at is kick returning.
1: Yeah.
0: And no disrespect to Jacob Parrish, he is slightly more expendable than dues.
1: <laughs> at least, as things stand right now, I would definitely rather put Jacob Parrish back there. Plus, he's burned his red shirt anyway. I mean, we shouldn't because we have Malik Knowles and Philip Brooks back there, which that's a whole other conversation for next year. who's the returner? But
0: has he burned that's his red problem. already?
1: Hmm. Has Parrish burned his red shirt? I'm almost positive that he's played at least. Five games. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I I feel like if he hasn't yet, he will because he's played in a few games meaningful cornerback snaps. And I feel like that would not be happening if they weren't just gonna like burn his red shirt. Could be. Perhaps.
0: Thank you, Deets. Next up is K State Kevin. What happened to Jax? He got hurt.
1: And our scheme just kind of doesn't lend itself to Jax Dineen. I mean, we don't really use fullbacks a lot. We primarily just use, like, tight end, H-back, and that's just not Jax game. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's played some special teams, I think. He
0: is. uh, He's on the return team.
1: Yeah. So, he's doing stuff, but he just, like, he doesn't have a lot of utility, I guess, what we're trying to do, which is a shame. Uh, It could have happened to anybody, honestly. Really could have. I don't know. I... I yearn for the day that Jacksonine gets like a 50 yard touchdown rumble on senior day. Thank you for describing it as a rumble. That is what it would be. The stadium would shake and not out of excitement, just out of (laughs) the stomp of Jacksonine.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Kevin next up. And finally are the two questions from rodeo cat, Ethan Brown, former guest and good friend of the show. First question, who is the most improved on defense? Austin Moore.
1: No doubt, Austin Moore. Um, he has been unbelievable uh, compared to, I think, the expectation form, which the expectation was for him to be serviceable. And he has been the best linebacker on the team. Uh, and it's a team that has Daniel Green on it. And also keep in mind, he started the year as second string behind Will Honus until Will Honus got injured. And And, uh, we'll see him again. He is gone forever, I guess. And Austin Moore has stepped in and he has been absolutely excellent. I could not ask for much more. I think Uh, he is a all big 12 candidate at this point. Another walk on success story, which it's getting old. Like I'd rather (laughs) we just have players that be good, but you know what? It's still inspiring. It's still cool. Uh, He is by far the most improved player. Uh, defensively, I'd say, but uh, I could throw up other guys like I don't know. Julius Brands has been really great this year, but he was great last year. He was great last. I feel like he's been different this year, though, because he's still great in coverage, but he's been excellent at run support this year. But Uh, other than that, I mean, a sold obvious Austin Moore
0: could say sincere, but he's been dinged up.
1: Yeah, I suppose it's more uh, impressive that he's come back from injury and been about as effective as he already was. Like what that has been very impressive to me.
0: Yep. Next question. And this is probably the third hardest question on this list. Who is the all Big 12 quarterback this year? Um okay, let's start with the easy part of who it's not. It's not Deckers. Definitely not. Not Shapin.
1: It's not J. He Daniels.
0: Nope. It's not a commander feet there. It's <laughs> the only man who uh, Nah, I'm not going to steal that joke from you. <laughs> you can tell it.
1: I will tell it when the time comes when the but, time is right. Um, it's not anybody from tech because they're just not going to play enough games to like really have a shot. So that, t- that knocks out five right mm-hmm. there. I don't think it's going to be yours. Mm-hmm. And it's probably not going to be Dylan Gabriel this rate either with how ou has been doing. So that leaves, uh, Spencer Sanders, Spencer Sanders, Max Duggan, Duggan, and, and nine I feel like we might have said somebody twice because I got to seven, but I don't think we said anybody from KU.
0: We didn't. Uh You counted someone twice, but I, I said you were. Uh, you said we counted JT Daniels twice.
1: Oh, uh, okay. But, um, I, I don't still, think I,
0: Jalen Daniels is going. I don't think no. Yeah.
1: Because regardless of the misinformation on if he's going to be out for like four weeks or the season or what have you, he's probably missing time anyways. So I don't think he'll be able to make it. He might get honorable mention. Um, So that leaves, yeah, 9 a.m., Spencer Sanders, Max Duggan. Out of those three, 9 a.m. is kind of the odd man out, I think. So that leaves Sanders and Duggan. And those are two really strong candidates. Yeah. I think We were talking about this before and I was in the Duggan camp. You were in the Sanders camp. Then we compared stats and play and we were like, oh, it's <laughs> the, the same, same quarterback. We were like, it's the same picture. <laughs> it's the same picture.
0: It is like, that's the weird part.
1: Those think- two QBs have been excellent this year. Duggan. And I'd say Duggan's been the most surprising considering he wasn't even the starter coming into the year. He's thrown one pick and the one pick was like basically a Hail Mary at the end of the half against KU and it was meaningless. So effectively, he's got zero picks on the year, 14 touchdowns, zero picks. Spencer Sanders has been really great. He's cut down the turnovers, 12 touchdowns, two picks. They both have about the same yardage on the ground. Spencer Sanders has more rushing touchdowns than Duggan. Uh, but those two guys have been great, and they're both going to be competing for that uh, first-team spot. And I think both, as as things stand right now, the middle of the season, uh, they both have claim to it, which means that Oklahoma State-TCU game this weekend is going to be awesome. Yeah.
0: I, I, the, honestly, to me, it's whichever team like finishes higher in the big 12 standings. That's yeah. that, that'll be the tiebreaker because right now they're so they're so comfortable that it it's like it doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Um, I, I think that it, it probably does just come down to whatever team is more successful unless one of them is just notably better by the end of the year, but I don't foresee that at the moment just because of how good they've been through six weeks, especially Duggan. Uh, given that he didn't start the season, it's surprising. Uh, but Spencer Sanders has been really, really great too. I I would not be upset with either of those guys getting first-team All-Big 12. As things stand, they're probably going to be first and second team, respectively. Uh, then after that, you're probably going to see either Ewers or Martinez or Gabriel Or like Jalen Daniels be honorable mention. Although I can't remember if you can have multiple honorable mentions.
0: I don't think so. I think you can have one at the quarterback position.
1: Okay. Then it might be the other positions where they allow a lot more where it's like if you get a vote, then you get honorable mention. Because I seem to remember there being a lot of honorable mentions like in the past. Like I think it's like if you get any votes at all for first and second team, I think you can get honorable mention. But maybe I'm thinking of something else.
0: I don't know. But
1: who's to say? Some mysteries to
0: say. I. It's it's such an like, the Big Twelve is stacked at like quietly stacked at quarterback this year.
1: Yeah, yeah. and
0: the, no no one's talking about it because you know it's the Big Twelve LMAO. But
1: and also I think it's because there isn't like an OU Heisman contending QB like there has been in the past, mm-hmm. which is normally drawn attention to the league. Um and it's just always been a race for second. But this year now there's not like a marquee OU quarterback. Then people just don't care as much, which is really frustrating, even though this is probably the deepest the league has been in a decade. Uh, So, I mean, like really you look at anybody's schedule and there's not an easy game left on there, which is really interesting because of how much OU is tanking right now. Uh, And, in the past strength of schedule has always been based around if you like played OU home or away <laughs> like <laughs> so this year it just doesn't matter as much which is so interesting yeah but
0: that wraps up the midseason Q&A now we're just going to go through and basically give the midseason thoughts starting off we're going to go through each and every position group and we'll kind of we'll try to keep it in you know, for the, for the sake of brevity, we'll try to keep it one or two sentences. Is that all right? Fine by me. All right. So let's start off. We'll alternate and I'll go first on the quarterback, Adrian Martinez. And if I were to give him one sentence, it would probably be shockingly contained, but still capable of big plays.
1: I that's a good way to put it. Um, I would say for me, I've been impressed with his ability to take care of the football while still being an offensive weapon because uh, I think internal works were the big concern coming into the year and he's not turned the ball over once. Yeah. So, knock on wood. But...
0: Yeah, obviously.
1: Yeah. Uh, running backs now. Uh, Deuce Vaughn is doing Deuce Vaughn things and DJ Giddens occasionally comes in. And looks solid. Uh, but it's the Deuce Vaughn room for now. And he's looked great so far this year.
0: Yep. I'm similar. Deuce is Deuce and DJ is the future after Deuce. Wide receivers is no rotation for a group that needs to show a lot more for that to be warranted.
1: Yeah. Uh Definitely want to see more from the receivers going forward, uh, literally and figuratively. I want the receivers to rotate more just because I want to see more fresh faces. Uh, keep the receivers fresh throughout the game. I also just want to see more production, which some of that's Adrian, but a lot of that's receivers just holding on the ball, making smart plays. Yeah. Um, We can do tight ends, fullbacks. This is kind of a room that has just kind of coasted through the year so far with, the lone exception kind of being Ben Sinnott who I'd say has been above average this year with a standout performance against OU. Other than that, they've been a little disappointing, I'd say, uh, especially Sammy Wheeler. Uh, I've been expecting more from him. I think we might see more of him as the year progresses, though.
0: Yeah, my assessment is we have other tight ends than Ben Sinnott <laughs> That's kind of... That's kind of where I'm at, because I think Sammy Wheeler has, what, two catches for like 15 yards or something like that? It's somewhere around there.
1: It's not anything crazy.
0: Yeah, I. tight ends have been all right. Actually, no, they haven't been all right. They've been below average with the exception of Senate.
1: Wheeler has three catches for 22 yards. Okay.
0: Yeah. Next up is Offensive Line, a unit that is battered and bruised, seemingly getting worse every week, and the bye week will hopefully save them. <laughs> and also Cooper Beebe is still elite.
1: Uh, yeah, you basically took the words out of my mouth. Um, they definitely need this break, maybe more than any other group on the team, uh, just to heal up and get healthy. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing how they bounce back. Uh because I think you're right, they've been kind of declining over the past few weeks um then we can get into uh defensive line uh they've been great really across the board uh this and which is interesting because they've been fighting injuries as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think every starter has left the game at one point or another because of an injury, and they have still been. A phenomenal unit, one of the best on the team, one of the most consistent. They've been great.
0: Yep. Uh, My assessment is three future NFL draft picks in Eli Huggins, Felix, and Nate Matlick. And although they've all been dinged up, especially Matlick, they've if once they get healthy, it's the best defensive line in the Big 12, and it's a top like seven unit in the country linebackers, pleasant surprises mixed with a lack of proven depth because Austin Moore being the best linebacker, again, I've said it multiple times. If you would have told me that before the season, I would have laughed in your face. But here he is, the best linebacker on the team. Daniel Green isn't bad. He's been playing a little bit dinged up. He's actually been quite good. And then Khalid Duke, who I always forget is an actual linebacker in this scheme. He's also dinged up, but his per his backup Des Purnell, is filling in nicely, or at least he did for the one game.
1: Um, yeah, linebackers have been a pleasant surprise in multiple ways. Um, Austin Moore leading that group has come out of left field and has been a very pleasant surprise. Um, and then just the unit. As a whole, being solid despite kind of a lack of depth uh, has been really great as well. Desmond Pernell, uh, kind of coming out of nowhere, uh, to really be great, uh, just one season into being a linebacker, uh, they they have been really really solid. Like the rest of this defense, yeah. The last position group, yep, yeah, defensive backs, they have been really really great this year. I mean, like any defensive back room, they have lapses in coverage occasionally. But it's tough to expect any defensive back room to be perfect, uh, so I won't do that here. I've really, really liked what they've done at the safety position and the corner position. Corners have been maybe one of the top five corner tandem in the country, and the safeties have been excellent as well, in their own right, all doing different things.
0: Yeah, my my assessment of the defensive backs is it's one of the deepest rooms in the country because I don't look at any of the names in the defensive back room who have played and I say okay that's the weak link I there isn't any weak links with the defensive backs at least none that have made themselves immediately obvious so that is the succinct version of every position group because we'll we'll save well if you want to hear week by week it, go listen to one of the the game recap episodes where we Very much go in-depth on (laughs) all of those. But the next question is the biggest one, or one of the biggest ones that we kind of posed at the beginning of the season. That's, That's, how's Klein doing? You see, to me, it is wildly inconsistent, but above average to just how it averages out. How do you how do you feel about it before I inevitably go on like a tirade here?
1: Um, I feel fairly similar. Like if I gave him a letter grade for the season, I give him a B minus. Yeah. Um, because offensive coordinator is definitely a position where you could call this the exact same game two games in a row and the situations being exactly the same. But if the offense like executes in one and just plays sloppily, like regardless of how the offensive coordinator does in the other. You're gonna get totally different fan reactions to the offensive coordinator, which is why you get fans, you know, like in a situation where you obviously need to pass the ball, they like throw it and the receiver just like drops it or something. They're like, Oh, why are we passing? You know, being offensive coordinator is a thankless job. Uh it's like the offensive line of the coaching staff. Yeah. Um, but they uh but yeah, Klein I think has been solid. He hasn't been phenomenal, he hasn't been elite, but he's been solid.
0: Yeah. I I mentioned this in the, the Iowa State episode, and I'm just waiting for a couple of plays to get their counterpunch out. And the moment that he starts showing that he has those counterpunches and also knows when to dial them up, that pretty much automatically knocks him up to a B plus. And because I know this comparison is going to be made and it's going to be a question that people have on their minds, yes, I do think Colin Klein is doing a better job than Courtney Messingham. And I know that there are some people out there who are who are big analytics guys who say like, well, it's it's either comparable or Messingham was better. You see, here's the thing. You could tell me that I have 10 billion dollars, but I can never use it. Or you can tell me about the one hundred dollars that I have in my wallet, which is going to be more useful to me. It's the one hundred dollars that I have in my wallet. It, Messingham never passed the eye test for me is basically the point of that and that very imperfect analogy. But Colin Klein is much closer to passing the eye test for what an effective coordinator should be. He's not all the way there and i didn't expect him to be all the way there in his first year as a the real offensive coordinator co-offensive coordinator does not count because he was not the play caller but he's doing about as well as i expected him to do as a first year coordinator which has been more than enough so far it's not been more than enough it's been enough let's 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 be honest <laughs> Do you have any more long form thoughts
1: uh, on Klein? No, I don't. I, I really think we need a full body of work, a uh, full season to really draw a verdict on him, like properly, I think, because yeah. I think like you said, we're either going to see more from him in the next few weeks or not. And either is going to be like very telling. Yeah. So
0: now we can go into the mid season award show where we have several different categories. I'm sorry if you just heard my knee pop. That one kind of hurt, actually, <laughs> where we go through. It happens once per episode. Not, a, It doesn't always hurt, but <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> we go through a bunch of different categories and give, you know, the awards for the midseason. Thusly, the midseason <laughs> awards. Go figure. Go figure. So the first category is the favorite play of the year. And since you capped off defensive back talk. I'll go first with my favorite play of the year. There are a couple of contenders here for me, and I'm not going to name them all just in case one of them happens to be yours. But probably my favorite play of the year is the in route to Ben Sinnott, where he just decides that he's going to enter Marshawn Lynch beast mode and just carries five or six people for an additional 10 yards. It's one of the only plays that didn't result in a touchdown that would be in contention. But to me, that was just so that was such a big moment. It was such a momentum swing. It was such a a big boy. It was a man amongst boys moment that I just can't help but absolutely adore that play. So that's my favorite play of the year so
1: far. For me, I'm gonna take a basic option and go with Adrian's 55 yard run against Oklahoma to all but sealed the game. That was a huge moment for him. It made the rounds on social media. Uh it was great for K-State in the game and also outside of the game. So I gotta go with that. Uh it, it was incredibly exciting. It was a fist pump moment uh, as a fan. So that uh, that's gonna be one of the plays that I think of if I ever think back on this year.
0: Yeah. The other ones that were in contention for me was the first play of the season the Jets sweeped Malik. The fifty-five yard run and the um, seventy—no, it was the was it sixty-yard run that Adrian has is like the second play of the no, the first play of the the Texas Tech game.
1: Yeah, it was something. It was something like that. I don't remember exactly how long it was. It was I think it was in the fifties. It I could think. have been because the because t- it was a touchback and the touchdown was eighteen yards. Mm-hmm. So I think it was like a fifty. Seven yard or run or something.
0: Yeah. So you have first for favorite game so far.
1: Favorite game? Uh, I'll say OU. Uh, even though that game I'd say hasn't aged as well, uh, cause OU has not played well since that game. I'm still going to say OU. Uh, because at least in the moment, that game was just unbelievably satisfying and really turned around the, uh, uh vibe of the season uh because things were on a downward trajectory fast after that two-lane game. And that was the game Adrian Martinez calmed the waters. Uh, so it, it's had lasting implications. Yeah. To me my
0: favorite game of the year so far and probably barring like an instant like <laughs> barring the NCAA 14 instant classic game, which you know, very well could be happening these next couple of weeks. It's probably going to be MU just, and honestly, that could, that game could have been much worse than it actually was for both sides. It still probably would have been my favorite game of the year just because it's, it's the team of my childhood versus the the school I'm going to right now. Like there's, there's like, it's like poetry. It rhymes (laughs) in a, it's, It was just a very meaningful game to me, you know, watching that happen, even though MU got ran for their foams. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably my favorite game of the year so far. The biggest surprise of a player so far. Yeah, this is, may as well just pair this up with the defensive breakout question. It's Austin Moore. And I that's the objectively correct answer.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I could sit here and say something else, but you're right. It's Austin Moore. And there's not really anything I could say with a straight face uh, differently than that, because he has just been out of this world. And yeah, he's defensive breakout, too. So. Yeah. But offensive breakout. That one's tougher because there's not really a lot of breakout players on the offense. last
0: year where we said Cade for the entire year, we said Cade Warner was the breakout player.
1: Yeah. Like this year, there's not a lot of options. I'm going to go ahead and say KT Leviston at left tackle, uh, holding his own there. Cause I think a lot of fans were rightfully skeptical of it, but he's proven that they made the right choice. I think, um, and Cooper Beebe's gotten to move into guard and has been phenomenal uh, there. So I, I'll say KT Leviston, which is kind of weird to have him as a breakout player because he's a senior. I think he's like a super senior. And <laughs> so it, it, it is a little strange to have him as a breakout because he's going to be gone. But I'll say KT. Yeah.
0: I'll t- Another motorcycle. Sorry. But couldn't hear it, actually. Uh, So uh, that's a shame. (laughs) Um, For me, the offensive breakouts, DJ Giddens, because I, it, it, the the kind of lack of options. (laughs) It, if RJ got more snaps, it'd probably be RJ, good job, RJ Garcia. And, but it's DJ. Because to me, DJ Giddens has shown a lot that you really like to see from a running back. He's shown that he has really good vision. He's shown that he has power, and he's shown he can run angry. <laughs> Look towards the back end of the Iowa State game for that. Like the only thing that you know he doesn't have right now is playbook knowledge. But you know he still has another year before he'll be the guy. 'Cause I assume Deuce leaves after this year. He he has another year before he is the guy. And then, you know, I, I think DJ gins will be very good. And even this year, I think he's been a a really good RB two for us. And you know, that's that's the best we've got for a breakout.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, there's really I mean, Austin Moore is the obvious defensive breakout, which yeah. we already talked about. That so, I mean, we can move into uh, MVPs then. Uh, offensively, I think the answer is Adrian Martinez. It's Adrian Martinez, yeah. Which I'm feeling vindicated because he was my preseason pick, but I mean, he was one of two obvious options, which was you know, due or Adrian. So yeah, it's not really anything to write home about. But no, um, yeah, he's been great. Obviously. Uh finally gotten some passing touchdowns. Uh has not turned the ball over once at all, zero times. Um and has been uh explosive on the ground for the most part. So yeah, he's been he's been excellent thus far. Uh so obvious MVP. Uh even though Deuce has still been really good. Yeah.
0: Now defensive MVP. This is probably the hardest award to give out. Because uh, let's let's run through the candidates here. Austin Moore, who's been the best linebacker. Kobe Savage, because he has been himself. yeah, <laughs> Josh Hayes, because he's been an integral part of this defense. Uh, Felix, because he has six and a half sacks. Julius Brent, because he's been one of the best run supporting corners in the country, as well as a great guy in coverage. Eli Huggins, for being the glue guy nose tackle. That's like six candidates I just named. I wasn't counting. I think it was six, but I think it was. yeah I, there is all of those are really good answers.
1: Yeah, you could say any of those guys, and I totally roll with it.
0: For me, I think the most valuable player on defense has probably been Felix because Austin Moore has been great. Austin Moore has done exactly what you need him to do and more. But to me, Felix is the most valuable player on the defense because he is the one piece that everyone is looking at and saying, "Okay, we need to game plan around him. He's the guy that's getting double teamed and it doesn't matter. He's just that good and he's that valuable to this defense. And you can tell the difference in the pass rush from when he's on the field uh, from when he's off it. So for me. The defensive MVP at the midseason point is Felix and you
1: Yeah. Um, I I do think that you have to come to the same conclusion. Although there's obviously way more candidates, but Felix, like when you just watch the games, it's clear who the opposing team thinks the most important player on our defense is. Uh, and that's Felix. Because they um they, he gets double teamed every snap. Uh, anytime he doesn't get double teamed or he's able to evade the inside guy, it's over for the offensive line. They're they're done for, and they know that. So they harass him, they double team him, they'll bring a chip, they do anything in their power to stop him from getting to the quarterback, and he's still done it uh, over six times uh, through six games. So that speaks volumes to how valuable he is uh as a defensive presence a defensive menace if you will uh he's going to be a first round draft pick he has been borderline unstoppable even when double teamed um he's gotten many of his sacks this year through splitting a double team uh he has been excellent so felix is the obvious pick despite there being a lot of guys that i think you could say as well and i would not be upset about at all uh, if you said Austin Moore, I'd say okay, yeah. Um, he's been incredibly valuable. He's a team in tackles. Uh, he had a great interception against Texas Tech, and he's had some really excellent tackles for loss too. Kobe Savage has a few picks and has been really great in run support. Julius Brantz has been great in run support too. Plenty of guys on the defense that you can talk about, but Felix is the one that really allows the rest of the defensive line to try and get after it as well while still handling his own.
0: Yeah. And now the quote unquote most prestigious award that we can give out, which is the Alley Cat of the first half, which, if you don't know what that is, it's it's our favorite player. And for me, because I can't give it to Will How I'm joking. <laughs> I for me, the Alley Cat of the first half has to go to Kobe Savage. Just like honestly, the mold for this award is Reggie Stubblefield, and it's just like a player who plays with an absurd amount of swagger. And Kobe Savage is that to a T and all I need, the only piece of evidence that I need to prove that is that I, you know, there is speculation that he scored a date with the Texas tech cheerleader. And uh, I feel like that's all I should have to say.
1: Yeah. You took, you took the alley cat of the first half out of my mouth. I was going to say Kobe as well mm-hmm. because he is just so likable on the field. He does make boneheaded plays occasionally, like the late hit out of bounds. But you know what? I that's hardly not, care. That's not even really his yeah. fault. Like, yeah, that's
0: just momentum.
1: Yeah. Like, I'm not upset with him about that. It's frustrating, but I'm not angry or anything. He has been really, really good, really entertaining, and plays with a lot of fire and that makes him a lot of fun to watch. So Kobe Savage is my pick for Alec Cat of the first half of the season. We'll see if he's able to maintain that to the end of the year. Uh, I feel like he has a good shot at it unless Felix just goes off for another six sack performance against TCU, but we shall see.
0: Or Austin Moore keeps up his play because if Austin Moore keeps up his play and he just quietly keeps doing it, I feel like, how do you not? Because yeah. like, Keep in mind that Ross Elder was like one of the top three finishers
1: last year, if I'm remembering correctly. I think he was by the end of the season because he had some great games by the end of the year. Like that Baylor game he had was uh, one for the ages.
0: The Nevada game he had was yeah. ridiculous. And then he gets the user lurk in
1: the Texas Bowl. He had no business doing that. <laughs> he really just baited Kirkland for no that was rude honestly but.
0: <laughs> so funny that no, was really good you have anything else to say before we we wrap up
1: um no i don't i have nothing else
0: all right well if that's the case thank you all for listening to this episode of the aggieville alley cats podcast if you want to contact the show you can follow us on twitter at aggieville a cats that's capital a capital a and capital c in cats if you want to email us we're aggieville at at gmail.com if you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at AC Edwards00.
1: I am at Connor Bautzazor, Capital C, Capital B.
0: And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aguilt Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as the staff approved, Doom Tank Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.